Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Close your eyes and picture a graying tower alone on the sea. A light hits the gloom on the gray. And now your rose is in bloom. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And this is modern classics, Kiss from a Rose. Ooh. What are you bringing me, Nate? Close your eyes again, Charles. (laughs) It's the mid-90s. You're a young Jewish boy. I'm not. (laughs) No, you are. You have to use your imagination, okay? Okay, for the sake of this exercise. You're a young Jewish boy. You're going to get me canceled. Balled up into your fist is the money you've saved over the past three months from allowance and various chores. Fifteen ninety nine. Fifteen dollars, yeah. You're... Descending the escalator in the HMV record store on 86th and Lexington Avenue in Manhattan, and you're making your way to the new releases to buy a record that has your favorite song of all time. You find the jewel case, the all-white background, the naked image of the artist seal on the cover, his arms outstretched as if welcoming you to come on this sonic voyage with him. And then your eyes travel to the upper right corner of that CD case and you see the price tag. $16.99. We have to go haggle. This is a corporate mega chain, Charlie. There is no haggling to be done. <laughs> what do we do? What you do, Charlie, is... Shake down your parents' wallet. What you do, Charlie, is find another one of your favorite bands of the moment, and their album is only ten ninety nine. It's, of course, Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> Sometimes you're crazy, then you wonder why. I'm such a baby cause the dolphins make me cry. Such a baby, cause the dolphins make me cry. That might be two thirds the price of Seal, but I don't think it's two thirds the song. I think it's definitely another modern classic. I agree. At the time, this was a crushing experience for my young Mm, psyche, mm, mm. as you can imagine. The dolphins made you cry, but I think in the intervening twenty years of therapy, I've I've successfully uh, processed it. It's big of you. Kiss from a Rose, though, Charlie, this was an inescapable song in the mid-90s, as as you may recall. Do you have a a Kiss from a Rose memory, Charles? 
Yeah, I definitely do. I remember being in my living room, coming home after school, turning on VH1, because I feel like this is more of a VH1 song than an MTV song. Mm. No shade VH1. <laughs> and I watched VH1 when I was a kid. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't the main demo. And I just picture Seal arm shooting up in the air, very barely draped in clothing <laughs> the bat, bat signal symbol. shining behind him yeah 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 and uh launching into a chorus with a song that i've never heard anything like and i don't think i have since This song was an unexpected hit after it was featured in the cinematic classic Batman Forever, directed by Joel Schumacher. Not sure that that one's got great Rotten Tomato reviews. Batman Forever. Mm. Yeah, that's a 39%. You sunk my battleship! <laughs> great song. I don't know about that movie, though. But we're not here to debate the merits of, a, of the campy costume classic, Batman Forever. We are here to understand why this song, which as you pointed out, is kind of unusual in its lyrics, in its music, became this unexpected hit. And, and furthermore, why it's, it's lasted as this recognizable, even iconic song 30 years since its release. How, how has it had... That staying power, Charlie, how has it become a modern classic? That's what I want to try and answer. Honestly, I'm very excited because I've never put much thought into this song. It's just always washed over me like a kiss from a rose. And what does that even mean? What does it mean, Charlie? Let's get right into it. Let's get to the question that has been vexing listeners for multiple decades. What is a kiss from a rose on the gray? Okay, I mean, a kiss from a rose feels like it's got two meanings. You have the sweetness and the beauty mm. of the rose, but then, of course, you have the danger of the thorn that could prick mm. you. Uh, the gray is the unknown existential crises and melancholy of life. I, I don't know. First of all, it's not kiss from a rose on the grave. Right. With a V, grave. Okay? Okay. You're making it sound pretty obvious, but I think I and a lot of other people, un until I was preparing this episode, Charlie, I, and even though, as you know, I'm a Kiss from a Rose super fan, I, I did not realize that <laughs> was the, it wrong that was the actual life. lyric. <laughs> but it makes sense because the imagery of putting a rose on a grave is seared into people's minds. So, okay, yeah. thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. It's the appropriate connection. But is this, the gray no, this is just different. the color of Batman's suit? Was this song written for Batman? No, this song was written way back in the late 1980s. Seal recorded oh. it on a four-track recorder, layering his voice multiple times to create this acapella demo. And it wasn't until he was recording his second album that he brought the recording to his collaborator and arranger, Trevor Horn. Uh, super producer Trevor Horn, a member of the band The Buggles of Video Killed the Radio Star fame. And then it was released on the album, 
And then Joel Schumacher heard it, the director of Batman Forever, and included it in the end credits of the movie. And then it became a massive hit. So it's a very circuitous kind of route to the success that we we now maybe take for granted. Okay, that's all nice and well, but it doesn't tell me anything about what the gray is. Well, Charlie, if you if you really want to know what that means, uh, you're you're gonna have to wait till till later in the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna build some suspense here, okay? But okay, suffice it to say, these lyrics are mysterious. Is that fair? Yes. There's an air of sort of gothic mystery about this song that lends itself to ambiguity and open interpretation. Mm-hmm. makes it work for a soundtrack that if you had told me it was written for the Batman movie, I'd be like, oh, makes sense, because I could see it in that place. But as compelling as these lyrics may be, I don't think they would implant themselves in our collective consciousness if the music of Kiss from a Rose didn't also support this mysterious ambiance. Mm. And so I want to go through some of the ways that this song creates an air of mystery and timelessness. And the first thing I think has to do with Seal's voice mm. and his vocal arrangements throughout this song, because this song is a showcase for the astonishing vocal talent of the artists we know as Seal from the very first notes. It's almost like he's his own string section. <laughs> You've got the da 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 da, and in the background, he's got the bump 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 like pizzicato strings. It's very orchestrated. I love that, Charles. Yeah, it's like he's transforming his solo voice into a choir of seals, a multitude yeah. of seals, <laughs> and doing so very much in a choir kind of way. Not a traditional pop, I'm just going to layer myself a dozen times to sweeten it and make it sound bigger and cooler. Mm. It sounds very choral. He's in a chorus and he has a, a voice that is indelible. His voice has texture. It's got grit. It's got a little kind of smokiness to it. You hear it at mm. the beginning of the song and you're like, hello, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> now, Charlie, indulge me. What is the very first syllable that Seal sings? On this song, I think the first syllable is ba. Very good, Charles. Batman. Don't stop no. with the with the Batman. We're beyond Batman. Sorry. Ba. Yeah. Okay. Good. Very. You have a sharp ear because a lot of people cover the song and they don't sing that. They sing la 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 or they sing ya la la or da da da. He's specific in the consonants and vowels that he's choosing. Yes. Bayaya is kind of surprising. It's not the usual syllable choice for a wordless hook. Yeah. You know, if you think of a song like Hey Jude, for instance, what does Paul McCartney sing? Nanas. Nanas. Got a lot of nanas. A lot of nanas in pop history. Oftentimes, wordless hooks are the things that you are meant to sing along to, and so you choose the simplest sound that you can. La, 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 na, 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 yeah. mm, 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 that kind of a thing. But we already established Seal's doing something different here. This is exactly him arranging 
his voice into this sort of orchestra. And so each sound that he makes is almost like the articulation of an instrument. So using ba-ya-ya already, whether we're conscious of it or not, I think part of us is going, huh, that's different. That's unusual. Hmm. It's a little mysterious. Mm -hmm. And sticking with this intro, there's something else mysterious going on. And it has to do with the harmony of the song. The very first chord we hear, that first ba-ya-ya, is a G minor chord. But no sooner has he sung that G minor chord than we move to a G major chord. And when we get to that last ya, <laughs> it's major. Shifting between the parallel minor and major in the same opening phrase. Disorienting. I'm sure there's one or two precedents in the world, but that's very strange. Super disorienting. Yeah. You don't know how you're supposed to feel. Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I somewhere in between? Oh, exactly, Charlie. Is it is it a kiss from a rose or is it on the gray, perhaps? You know, Ooh. we don't we don't we don't know. Is the song in minor or major? That's like most songs establish that very clearly at the outset. And this one's like Yeah. Nope, no, it's, it's 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 in between. Okay, and then Charlie, if that wasn't enough, what happens right afterwards? We get one of the most emotive, mysterious orchestral instruments that you can include in a pop song. Right here. The whiny sound of an oboe. Wow. I, I mean, I don't... Who's playing oboe in a pop song? That's cool. I don't know why you need to call it whiny, Charles. Nasally? I would say it's the piercing, plaintive, double reed <laughs> of of the gorgeous oh, oboe. Sorry, all, all you oboists out there. Yes, you're, but, but you're exactly right. It is. It is an oboe. Not surprisingly, the cousin of the oboe, the English horn even though the song was arranged by a literal English horn, Trevor Horn. He's he's British and his <laughs> last name is Horn. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. But the oboe, that's another kind of <laughs> mysterious instrument to encounter here because it's not something you typically hear in a pop song. And it's reinforcing this idea of how I'm hearing his vocal arrangement. This is not just uh, you know, pop instrumentation. It feels like we're going to the symphony. There's very few appearances of the oboe on the history of pop hits. I mean, we've got Sonny and Cher's I Got You, Babe. I got you, babe. And there's Art Garfunkel's Bright Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the 60s were into this very pastoral, plaintive sound that the oboe is fitting for, yeah. The Garfunkel songs from the 70s, but but a point well taken. Okay, okay. In the 1990s and since, really, you do not hear oboe on <laughs> pop hits. So another kind of mysterious element here. Some oboe is going to clap back at you, I'm sure. But yeah, please continue. I, 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 I welcome it. I welcome it. Oboists, 
those who play the chord anglais, come at me. I'm here for you. Let's keep listening to Kiss from a Rose. Let's get into the verse. And Charlie, tell me what you're hearing in terms of the rhythm of this song and specifically the underlying meter. What is the pulse of this song? There used to be a gray and tower alone on the sea. I feel like I'm hearing things in groups of three. One, two, three, two, two, three. One, two, three, two, two, three. Not very common for us to hear songs on the pop charts in three, four. Very unusual, Charles. This is like waltz time. This is like 19th century Viennese Blue Danube waltz time. Like that is very strange. You do yeah. not encounter top 10 hits written in this kind of antiquated triple meter waltz time. Okay. This is getting just so strange. Oboe, choir-like arrangement, waltz time. This is not a pop song. What is going on? No, it's something else. I don't know how to classify this song, Charlie. It's got almost some medieval kind of touches in certain places. Mm. It has vocal layering that's reminiscent of a madrigal. There's a way that this song reminds us of the 1990s, I think. And you know, maybe you have a core memory associated with it as well. <laughs> but at the same time, this song seems to exist out of time. It's, it's not mm. tethered <laughs> to a specific moment. And perhaps that is why it has had this staying power. It's this ability mm. to last through the ages and to float above all the fast, changing styles of the music industry this song mm -hmm. sort of exists apart from all that what what's the latin term for that sui generis am i saying that right i don't know i don't speak latin of course you don't <laughs> why, why do we even have you around charlie what do you do you don't speak latin i'm not a small jewish boy <laughs> i said young jewish boy charlie not small okay i mean i think i was pretty average size for my age but okay so hopefully we've answered a question about why the song resonates with us, but we, we haven't answered another question, which is what do these lyrics mean? And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to go to the source, to the Oracle, to the musician who is about to embark on a national tour celebrating the almost 30th anniversary of this song with the original arranger and music director, Trevor Horn. No way. And that of course is seal himself. Get out of here. What? Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. My name is Seal. I'm a recording artist. I'm not quite sure uh, what else I would add to that. Seal, you're about to embark on a world tour celebrating the 30th anniversary of the album Seal 1 and Seal 2. 
And one of the songs you'll be performing is Kiss from a Rose. What do you think has kept people engaged with this song for for so long? I mean, if I knew the answer to that, I'd write a lot more of them, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a decent song, obviously. I think a fair amount of it is luck. And also, it's an unusual song in that there isn't anything else that sounds quite like it. So it kind of against all odds. First of all, it's it's a waltz. And um, you know, up until Kiss from Rose, there weren't many waltzes that made it into popular music. I once heard someone describe it as this kind of strange medieval hmm. type hmm. madrigal with R&B stops in it. So I, I thought that was quite funny. It shouldn't really work if you start to get analytical about it, but somehow it does. So I think if one is lucky enough to break through, so to speak, with a song like that, it tends to have legs. And, and because nothing sounds like it, it tends to not get old. There is so much a man can tell you, so much he can say. Do you remember the act of putting these melodies, these lyrics together? I just received a four-track recording studio, a porter studio, actually. Uh, four-track porter studios were these things that we used to do demos on back in the day, mm. where you would take a a cassette tape, which generally speaking had a, had two sides, an A and a B side, and you were able to split a, a standard cassette tape up into four tracks. You'd record three tracks, whether it be drums, bass, and guitar, and then you'd bounce those over to the fourth track, and then it would free up the next tracks. And you you, you continued that process until you sort of pushed it to its limit. So I just got this machine, and I couldn't play an instrument at the time. So I was trying to figure out how it worked, and I decided to, to I think it was about 16 tracks of vocals. I ended up recording on this machine on this porter studio to try and figure out how it worked i guess i imagined what an orchestra would do and so you know you have the i guess that would be an oboe or a string part and then you'd have the pizzicato strings essentially i ended up recording multiple tracks of vocals, as I said, around 16, and they were all meant to emulate an orchestra. And that is perhaps why there is this kind of elaborate vocal arrangement on Kiss from a Rose, which I guess later on became a trademark. In working with my producer and mentor, Trevor, that was always something that we focused on was doing lots and lots of backing vocals and harmonic layering. So is this 
a method of composition that you have replicated since then? Or do you find yourself approaching the act of composition with, in a different way, maybe with a guitar, a piano, some, some sort of musical accompaniment? If you don't play an instrument and you're a singer, I think it's just a sort of natural progression where you try and emulate certain instruments or what you think or what you would want instruments to do. And it's something that, it's a habit I adopted really early and I guess continued with that approach to a harmonic structure mm. and writing songs in general. One of my big influences were when I was getting it together, when I was getting my my songwriting career together, uh, was Crosby, Stills and Nash. They have really beautiful harmonic melodies, but also they're quite rhythmic. If you take something like Carry On or Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, there's a lot of the vocals in it that they're not only beautiful harmonies, but they're quite percussive. <laughs> I don't know whether I was listening to CSN at the time of Kiss from a Rose. I think Kiss from a Rose came before my listening to CSN. Actually, that's not entirely true because I remember Alan, who gave me one of my first jobs, a seamstress or a seamster. I don't know, what would you call a male seamstress? I, I, I used a sewing machine. And uh, he used to play a lot of CSN. He kind of introduced me to Cosby Sills and Nash and, and Joni Mitchell. So, yeah, I probably, thinking about it now, Kiss from a Rose was probably influenced by CSN. Carry on, love is coming, Maybe that's where that love or, or that certainly the attraction to, mm, mm. to melody, to that kind of style of layering came from. The arrangement that you mentioned of this song is a big part of the song's success, its recognizability. I wonder if you remember your reaction when you first heard Trevor Horn's orchestral arrangement of this song? Like everything that Trevor does, the, the first reaction is, is, is one of, wow, where he's such a genius that it, it's almost impossible not to be bowled over when you first hear something. And he's kind of like this, you know, mad alchemist. You give him a load of ingredients and he somehow just puts them together in this way that's really rather magical. My issue was with the song itself. I didn't particularly care for the song that much, my debut offering. I liked it, but I, it wasn't one of my favorites. And it wasn't how I felt that I wanted to be portrayed as an artist. Mm. I wasn't particularly that fond of the song, but I was definitely bowled over by what Trevor had done with it, his production and his arrangement. As you point out, this is a very unusual time signature to encounter in recent popular music. I've always loved kind of uncommon 
time signatures, not to say that 3-4 is uncommon, but as it pertains to pop music or popular music, I've always loved odd or the, let's say, lesser used time signatures. Like I think Driven in Metaphors is 7-8. And then I've got Fast Changes is an odd time signature. Here we are, Fast Changes. Fast Changes arrive. I've always reveled at the opportunity to sing uh, across an odd time signature because I, I, I actually find it quite freeing when you're not being anchored by the one you know, across 4-4, four, four. Yeah. I've always found it quite freeing because you can, it's easy to lose yourself. You know, I, I generally haven't had any difficulty finding my way back in as the phrase is turning. So um, Kiss from a Rose, I guess it just seemed normal to come up with something like that. And and I really appreciate your own insights into the song because they're helping me understand it, the the intricacy of it, the timeless elements or maybe out of time is a better word the the waltz meter the the baroque almost madrigal vocal textures the thick 16 part multi-tracked harmonies it doesn't sound like the 90s say you know it doesn't in, in in the way that other songs from that era do it exists a little bit out of time it's it's unmoored Perhaps that what that's what allows it to to survive and speak to people at different moments in time in different places and have them draw their own meaning from it because it's not tethered to a certain moment or place or or even concrete feeling necessarily. So that could be a recipe for longevity. Well, that's also a, a kind of an ethic that Trevor instilled in me. He was always very conscious of not putting things whether they be sounds or or chronological references in music that dated it he avoided timestamps sonic ones too like you know melodic timestamps or production timestamps and he was always you know why make a, a record when you can make a timeless record that was his attitude and so he kind of steered me away from ever trying to do things like, you know, anything that was fashionable at the time. You know, if you were to ask me something like, what's the best part of what you do, of the actual music making aspect of what you do? What's, the, what's your favorite part? Is it making records? Is it, you know, singing in the studio? Is it writing? I would say the collaborative aspect of it the opportunity to work with these great players that i keep talking about because the the name on the marquee is kind of secondary to the collaborative aspect of making a record like when i think of those early records that, that i made i don't necessarily think of where i wrote them or me in the studio or I think of when I was actually collaborating with the, the musicians, players, these great musicians that I've that I've had the just incredible fortune of of working with. That's the bit that sticks out. That's when it is divine 
Sure, I get a, a kick out of coming up with songs and writing things, and that's quite emotional whenever that happens. If it's any good, it's emotional. But it's the magic of when you start to hear people interpret what you've done, because with it, they bring their own experiences and they're starting to bring this this color into it. It takes my breath away, and it's the real reason why I continue to do to still make music, you know, I'm not really interested otherwise. If there, if you took away the collaborative aspect, I'd do something else that involved collaboration and then I'd kind of I'd write music, but I wouldn't do it for as my mainstay. That's a beautiful testament to the power of this art form. It, it, I, and I totally agree. Sometimes I think to myself, why am I practicing by myself? It's it's to, in order to, to, to someday be able to play with someone. Got to do it. You yeah. can't do that, and it's just, it's, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not so into it. You've got to be able to make magic with something because that's when it's that's when it becomes like if you if you listen to Kiss from a Rose or if you listen to you know any of my music. Yes, okay, my voice and fine, okay, yes, but what really gets me about that music is I hear the souls of everyone on there, not just the musicians, but everyone who was present, the people around, the, the, the people that were in our lives, not just my life, but the musicians' lives. I hear all of that. That's the soul. That's what makes the record this thing that you can't duplicate. I always say that records sound like the time you had making them so who was there in the old days of like the tea boy like who used to make the tea well you know who was the tape up who looked after you at the house who did you have conversations with what did you talk about those are the things that end up on the record that's the energy that's unquantifiable you you can't see it but you can feel it that's the spirit of a record Thank you so much for sharing these insights and reflections on uh, an incredible piece of musical culture. Thank you, brother. Really, lots of fun. Charlie, we're back. Yeah, and you're you're consternated. You're vexed. You're perplexed. You're perplexed. <laughs> you're you're down downright apoplectic because I did not ask Seal about what what the song means you didn't get the one thing we needed to know what's the gray now i didn't ask him because seal has said publicly i've been avoiding explaining this for almost 30 years i'm not about to start now and Good i'm not him. about to ask him and <laughs> and so here here's my answer for you charlie this song okay. means whatever you want it to and mm. that's why seal mm -hmm. doesn't want to tell us because mm -hmm. he wants you to create your association with Kiss from a Rose, create your story. And as long as people continue to do that, this song is going to last for another 30 years and more. That's the magic. Seal is so much more than Kiss from a Rose. He's one of the best voices of his generation. He's got countless hits. I'd love to know what other Seal songs you are digging. Hit us up on social media, at Switched on Pop, on Twitter, and on Instagram. What are you loving in the Seal catalog? 
You can find more episodes of Modern Classics and everything else we do here at Switch on Pop at our website, switchonpop.com, and basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode exploring the fascinating music of the band 100 Gex. And of course, there's our team. Switched on Pop is produced by Rihanna Cruz, engineered by Brandon McFarland, edited by Art Chong, community management by Abby Barr, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, our executive producers Anushat Kurwa and Hannah Rosen, and we're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. So I guess we'll see you uh, next Tuesday. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. <laughs>